0: Hi and welcome back to Spatula's and Speculations. I am your unofficial Professor Lily and this is the unofficial SJM 101. And today is going to be a continuation of last week's episode or I guess I wouldn't say continuation. I would say it's more of so we talked all about more the character and her character deep dive and now I'm going to take all that information and spin it into the theory. So this is going to be your spoiler warning. If you haven't finished reading all of Akatar or if you haven't finished reading all of Crescent City, and also I'm going to be mentioning something that happens in Tower of Dawn. It's not like a huge spoiler because there's not really going to be a lot of context around that, but it's going to come up. So if you haven't finished reading basically every single thing written by Sarah J Mass aside from Catwoman, um, <laughs> save this podcast, follow me, and come back and join the conversation when you're done. The second thing, we're just going to get our disclaimers right out of the way, right out of the gate. I don't speak for Sarah and I don't speak for Bloomsbury. These are my thoughts. These are my opinions. Today is a theory day. So take it all with a grain of salt. I could be wrong about literally everything I've ever said on this podcast, aside from canon facts. So just be warned. You can't be mad at me if I'm wrong. And when Christmas City 3 or the end of all of Sarah J. Mass's writing work is done. Third of all, I pronounce things wrong. I have a weird accent. I get told that damn near constantly. So just be warned that if I pronounce something wrong or I say something with a slight accent, I'm sorry. I apologize. If it really, really, really bothers you, but you want to stay on SJM theory or lore or canon side of the universe, just DM me, ask me, and I can give you two very lovely ladies that you can follow on TikTok and on Instagram who pronounce everything right. And one even has an Australian accent, so it's delicious to listen to with your ears. <laughs> um, And I can say that because she knows that I am in love with her voice. <laughs> so just be warned. I want to start today's episode with actually an addendum to last week's episode and I'm I have never been so angry with myself Uh, well not ever but in this podcast I feel like every time I'm finished a podcast I feel very good about it I feel like I've gotten all of my point across I've said all the information and then some sometimes I feel like I give too much information if that's even possible or I talk for too long um And last week, I, one, did not talk very long, and two, I missed a huge chunk. I had it all laid out on the side and everything. I was like, I want to spend a good time talking about this because I feel like it's never talked about. And then I didn't talk about it (laughs) because I was so... I was like, in my head, I wanted to talk about like the more and Az and Cassian thing and like that timeline with Iris and all that stuff, because there's been so much conversation around it. And I wanted to get like the timeline and the facts out there. Um, and I didn't talk about this one thing that I really wanted to talk about when it came to Moore's past. And that is Moore had a human lover. She fell in love with a woman and like literally fell in love with a woman the way that Aelyn loved Sam. Okay. This is the exact same thing. And they were separated when the wall went up, right? Moore spent three straight years walking along the wall, country to country, coast to coast, trying to find a way past the wall to get back to the woman that she loved. She was willing to be there with her for this whole human lifespan because she loved her so much. And then when she found a way through the wall, she found out that her lover had married someone else and had two kids, and she didn't even go and say goodbye to her because she didn't want to cause any issues for her human girl. And I feel like when we're having these conversations about more, I'm just going to get, I'm just going to fit, pretend this is last week's episode, okay? But I just want to get this out there because I just feel like it's not talked about enough. Like there's no, I don't want to say like there's no respect for more. Well, I actually found, I didn't know this, but apparently Elaine is not the most hated character in the SJM Akatar universe. It's actually more. I did not know that until I started talking about more. Wow. More people hate more then I, I didn't even know. I didn't know that, that there was a more side of hate TikTok, uh, or the internet. Um, but there's something that's just not talked about. Like, we talk about Sam and Selena and their relationship with such, like, respect and with such reverence and, like, so much sadness. And, like, we're always, like, oh, she'll always love him and, like, that's okay. And then, <laughs> and then we go, like, more strong as real along for blah, 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 blah. And it's, like, one, no, she didn't. I mean, I, I can't, I can't really get behind saying that, like, it's Moore's fault that Asriel has been in love with her for 500 years. Uh, it just, I feel like it's, that she doesn't owe him anything. And, like, I think we're just forgetting that Moore w- was in love with somebody and, like, she still holds love for that one lady. And her, I don't want to pronounce her name because i I, it's actually, like, a Greek name it's a true, like, if you, there is, like, a backstory, she's, like, someone's husband in, like, Greek, like, a Greek tragedy or something like that, um, but I just, I don't know, I just wanted to, like, I did not forget it, (laughs) well, I did, but I I didn't actually forget it, it's in my notes, and I didn't talk about it, and I just feel, like, whenever I think about it, I just feel, like, so sad when I think about, for three years, she didn't go home, she didn't do anything, she just, like, looked for a way to get back to the woman that she loved, and she was willing to, like, throw her life away for this person, and the fandom, like, never talks about that, and how sad that is, and how, of course, Moore has never moved on, or has never, like, done anything, because the one time she was ready, I guess you could kind of, like, I guess you could even say, like, Moore and as like, the same, because when Asriel was ready, To tell Moore how he felt he was shut down and then he just never opened up again. And the same thing can be said about Moore is that when she was willing to, like, be full-blown lesbian and, like, be in love with this human and whatever, she was shut down. And, of course, she never tried again. And, of course, she has, like, this, like, ingrained little bit of trauma That she has not been willing to, like, open up and let breathe the same way that Az has. And I just want to get that out there that I did remember literally the second I hit publish. I I wanted to throw my head against the wall and, and, like, straight through my books. Because I was like, how could you do an entire character deep dive and not talk about one of the most important things about the character? Oh, I was so mad at myself. I, I was so mad. I almost wanted to, like, put out an addendum or, like, go back and, ed- like, r- put something back in, but by that time that I would have had it out, like, already people had already listened to it, so I was just, like, <laughs> I was just so mad. So I just told myself, you just do an addendum at the beginning of the next week's episode, and it'll be fine. So, moving on. <laughs> I'm so sorry you guys had to go through that, um, but I couldn't, I wouldn't, I, can't, I basically couldn't sleep. past week because i just kept thinking about how i messed up and it drove me to the point of near insanity so i just need to get that over with and into the universe so yeah but my theory with more um also did not realize this was going to be such a big deal for some people because wow some people do be getting mad about certain things but my theory with more is that more is starborn and more is going to be the dust court high lady i used to say the dust court queen The Starborn Queen, oh my goodness, that grated on some people's nerves. I did not realize I had hit a sore spot, but I'm going to treat that sore spot with respect and we're going to talk it out. So, I do realize that, like saying the Starborn Queen, so the reason why people are getting mad about it is because I'm taking away from Bryce. And I have a lot to say on that. So, I'm going to, instead of saying the Starborn Queen, even though Moore is likened to, to a queen all the time. I'm going to say dust court high lady. I think that Moore is going to rule the dust court. The dust court is going to get revived. It's coming back. That's just a given. It was talked about in Akamath, and then it was hammered in at the ending of, in the end of Osab, and now it's like, okay, this is really going to happen. And I think that Moore is going to be the one who ends up ruling it. And the reason I say that is for a few reasons. Number one, I don't think that Bryce is going to stay on Perithian. Um, I know that this is going to, this is going to sound, because this is going to talk, feed into so many different thoughts, I'm just going to, like, kind of baseline it, and then I think maybe we're, I want to, I want to do an episode maybe just talking about all of my thoughts and all of my theories for, like, Crescent City and, like, the future of all these books, but basically I really don't see, I don't see Bryce staying on Perithian for multiple different reasons, and I don't see Bryce coming back to Perithian, and I think that for one, it's not her world. Two, she is half human. So, like, to say that, well, she has a right to be in Perithian, well, she also has a right to be on Midgard. And it comes back to this conversation that Manon and Dorian were having in Queen of Shadows when she was. Manon asked Dorian, and I should really have the quote out, but I don't. But basically, they're talking about what is Aelin going to do when she has the keys, and she's banishing the Valk back to their planet. And Manon asks, what about the creatures who are half Valk, who have been, who were born on Aurelia, who are half Fae? What about them? Are they going to be sent to this planet that they've never been to, have no kinship, and don't like, and, you know, whatever? Or, is she gonna allow them in like in like is she gonna be like who who gets to decide who belongs where and I think that is the exact same conversation that we should be pulling to when we're talking about Crescent City and the fae of Crescent City is where do they belong because at the end of the day okay say we're gonna overthrow the Assyria the Assyria are now gone the gates are open now what what what's gonna happen do you the humans get the right to just kick all of these half-fae or fae and whatever creatures off of Midgard. The, the, they're citizens of Midgard. Like, that, that's where they're born. They have all of their cars and their nail salons and their coffee shops and their dance clubs. Like, going from that to going to Perithian where they don't get to rule They don't have any housing. They don't have jobs. They don't understand the language at all. And just being like, you don't belong here because of your ancestors 15,000 years ago. Like, can you comprehend the amount of time that has passed from when they were originally on Perithian to now? It's shitload. Excuse my language. It's a shitload of time. So I just don't see this happening. I mean, for a multitude of reasons. One of those being that if you were to displace all of the fae, and technically, as the question gets brought up, is that all fae most likely all came from Perithian, so all of the fae from Thorn of Glass, all of the fae from Crescent City, and then smushing them Onto Perithian, and then taking all the humans from Perithian and kicking them out and bringing them to Midgard, which I'm sure would might be better for them, well, at least some of them. But there's already so much issue that we find out that Reese and them and what Moore has been dealing with on the continent, and then like Valhine is like there's so much unrest, and the Fey want to spread out more. And putting them all (laughs) onto Perithian and saying, like, just, like, each of you get your own little square. Like, it's, I don't see that happening. And I keep thinking about when, in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the show that came out after the ending of Endgame, and they're, it's like, it's, they're talking about the, what happened. The whole show is just about, like, resources and stuff like that post-Blip. And, like, with all the people coming back and how there's, like, housing crisis and food crisis and, like, medical crises and how it's just, like, there's just so much unsettling. And, yeah, okay, eventually it gets figured out, but I just can't, it's, that, like, that's gonna have to happen on Perithian if you shove all of the fae that quote-unquote belong on Perithian from Midgard and Aurelia. And imagine, I'm sorry, just purely imagine um, Aelin, Rhys, and the Autumn King. (laughs) And all the High Lords having to come to an agreement in a timely manner. It won't, it won't happen. I mean, we learned that the Fae rulers in Crescent City are kind of like, wads of used toilet paper, they're not going to want to bow to any other rulers. And who has the right of way to rule their fey? Is it the fey that's already there and already ruling? Do they already get to rule and the other people have to just, like, lose their power? I don't know any fey who is cool with losing their power. It's just... I just don't see it happening. So, with that in mind, I don't think Bryce is going to stay. I don't think that... I mean, I'm, I'm not saying all of the Fae are going to decide. I don't know how it's going to work. I really don't. But for the sake of, I mean, the future of Akatar. H- how would that go about if the ending of Crescent City is now all the Crescent City Fae are in Perithian, so what's the s- the storyline of Akatar is now gone out the window? Because it's just, like, you know what I mean? Like, there's just no way that that could happen unless the next, like, *Akatar* and Crescent City books are gonna just be called, like, A Court of Crescent City, you know? Like, unless she, like, completely merges all of her books into one series. So, like, like, a funnel and, like, now they're all being jammed down the funnel and they're all coming out in one stream. I just don't see that happening. So, with that being said, if Bryce isn't staying on Perithian for multiple reasons, she has to go back for Hunt and her brother She has to go back to defeat the Asteri. And, yeah, it's just not happening. I don't see Bryce staying. And you can argue with me. Well, you can't because I'm a singular person alone in her bedroom talking to a microphone. And you were there. And you can't argue with me. Also, Bryce was very, very, very reluctant. In fact, didn't even accept her royal title. So. (laughs) And you could say, well... Farrah didn't want to receive her, you know, her ruling title, but also Farrah was severely mentally ill and depressed. She didn't even want to live, um, let alone do anything. So to try and put those two together. Like Bryce is obviously mentally stable at the time. She was in a loving relationship with Hunt. She was over her grieving process. She was in her very quote-unquote normal state and she still didn't want to rule. Whereas Farah, when she got better and she was like in her normal state, she did want to rule and she does like ruling. So I think they're very different. Same with Aelin. Aelin was in her very depressed state. Aelin was running from her past. When she confronted her past, when she did her healing, she wanted to rule and she took it very seriously. Bryce was not like that. Um, you know, there's also so much to say with, like, Rune's prophecy and how his royal line is going to end with Rune. Bryce is part of that. Um... Bryce is now a part of that royal line. She always has been, technically. I mean, technically she has always been, and now she definitely is. So what does that say about Bryce? Like, there's just so many layers to it, and there's so much going against her ruling the dust court on Perithian. That's what I'm talking about. Maybe there's going to be a dust court, or whatever, or a starborn court on Midgard. Bryce can rule that all she wants, but the dust court on Perithian... Somebody else is going to have to rule it. And I think that's going to be more. And I think there's so much evidence pointing towards this that it can't be ignored. That it, like, literally you cannot ignore this plot line because whether Moore is going to rule the Dusk Court, whether she's going to rule the Night Court, whether she's going to rule Valaris and Rhys and Farrah are going to become High King and Queen and, or, and or only rule the Night Court, and more will rule Valaris. Like I, I don't know how it's going to be, but more is going to rule something because it's been so heavily foreshadowed for so long that it has to happen. So either more is going to be the High Queen, High, yeah, High Queen, or she's going to be the High Lady of something, of someone. And it's, it's just, it's, it, it. The proof is in the pudding. So let's get into the pudding. Let's get into this. So our Proof is this. Before we even meet more in Akamath, before we even know she really exists, well, maybe not really, because I think Farrah might have heard her through a cracked door, but in A Court of Mist and Fury, Chapter 7, we get this conversation with Reese and Farrah, and Reese says this. "Reese crossed his leg. Don't you? The strength, the speed, if I didn't know any better, I'd say you and Tamlin were doing a very good job of pretending you're normal. That the powers you're displaying aren't usually the first indicator among our kind that a high lord's son might become his heir. But I am not a high lord. No, but you were given life by all seven of us. Your very essence is tied to us, born to us. What if we gave you more than we expected? Oh, Oh, shit. Oh, I just had a thought. Oh, no, I just had a thought. Oh, okay. Um. Anyways. <clears throat> what if we gave you more than we expected? Again, that gaze raked over me. What if you could stand against us? Hold your own. A high lady? There are no high ladies. His brows furrowed, but then he shook his head. We'll talk about that later, too. But yes, Farah there can be high ladies. And perhaps you aren't one of them, but what if you're something similar? So, there are high ladies. And okay, granted, he could be foreshadowing that he'd make Farah his high lady, but at this time, he didn't really have any indication that him and Farah would be together. I think he even says it when he's talking, giving her his big speech in 55, that, like, he didn't ever think that they would be together, that he was, like, he had given up on ever having her romantically and he just wanted to, like, help her get better. So, like, at this time, I don't really see him, I don't, like, even in this chapter, she goes back to Tamlin. So, like, this isn't even, like, when she's left Tamlin and they're having this conversation. This is way, way before that. And there can be high ladies, as we do see with Vivian. It's, like, You know, it's not just Pharaoh. Pharaoh isn't just some special entity. Like, there can be high ladies, just there haven't been. And I'm 90% sure that there are fey queens on the continent. And what is a high lord but a king? So, in essence, if a fey, if there could be a fey queen, there could be a fey high lady. Because they're literally the same thing, just with a different name, just with a different title. But I was literally (laughs) reading this. They are as if they aren't the powers that, the first indications among us that a high lord son might become his heir. I'm not a high lord, no, but you were given life by, what if your very essence is tied to us, born to us? What if we gave you more than expected? So, I mean, Rhys High King, sure. Farah High High Queen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's something there? I did not read that until I read it. And now I have that thought. I need to write that down in my notebook, actually, before I continue. Oh, so I was wrong. Actually, we did meet more. We did meet more in Akamaf 6. So one chapter later, when we actually meet more, we get her, our first sighting of more. And I think all of it really, really just points to being starborn. And um, let's, we'll, we'll, I'm going to break it down. So in Akamaf 6, we get this. We have company. We'll discuss this later. No, we won't. But quick, light footsteps sounded down the hall, and then she appeared. If Reese was the most beautiful male I'd ever seen, she was his female equivalent. Her bright golden hair was tied back in a casual braid, and the turquoise of her clothes, fashioned like my own, offset her sun-kissed skin, making her practically glow in the morning light. Hello, hello, she chirped her full lips parting in a dazzling smile, her rich brown eyes fixed on me. Farah, Reese said smoothly, meet my cousin, Morgan. More, meet the lovely, charming, and open-minded Farrah. I debated splashing my Tina's face, but more strode towards me. Each step was assured and steady, graceful and grounded, merry but alert. "'someone who didn't need weapons, or at least bothered to sheath them at her side. "'I've heard so much about you,' she said, "'and I got to my feet, awkwardly jutting out my hand. "'She ignored it and grabbed me into a bone-crushing hug. "'She smelled like citrus and cinnamon. "'I tried to relax my taut muscles as she pulled away and grinned rather fiendishly. "'You look like you were getting under Reese's skin,' she said, "'strutting to her seat between us. "'Good thing I came along.' Though I'd rather enjoy seeing Reese's balls nailed to the wall. Reese slid incredulous eyes at Moore, his brows lifting. I hid the smile that tugged on my lips. It's nice to meet you. Liar, Moore said, pouring herself some tea and loading her plate, you want nothing to do with us, do you? And wicked Reese making you sit here. You're perky today, Moore, Reese said. Moore's stunning eyes lifted to her cousin's face. Forgive me for being so excited to have company for once. You could be attending your own duties, he said testily. I clamped my lips tighter together. I'd never seen Reese... irked. I needed a break, and you told me to come here whenever I'd liked, so what better time than now, when you brought my new friend to finally meet me? I blinked, realizing two things at once. One, she actually meant what she said. Two... Hers was the female voice I had heard speaking last night, mocking Reese for our squabble. So that went well, she teased, as if there were any other alternative, any other chance of pleasantness, where he and I were connected. A new fork appeared beside my plate. I picked it up, only to spear a piece of melon. "'You two look nothing alike,' I said. "'More is my cousin in the loosest definition,' he said. She grinned at him, devouring a slice of tomato and pale cheese." But we were raised together. She's my only surviving family. I didn't have the nerve to ask what happened to anyone else, or remind myself of who's father was responsible for the lack of family in my own court. And as my only remaining relative, Rhys went on, Moore believes she is entitled to breeze in and out of my life as she sees fit. So grumpy this morning, Moore said, plopping two muffins onto her plate. I think that first introductions are... Incredibly important when it comes to Sarah J. Mass because Sarah is going to give you probably the most information that she'll give on a character because she doesn't describe every character in great exaggerating detail down to their looks, their eye color, their smell and the way that they are, and how they tie into other characters, as she does in the first introductions. Later on, it'll just be either an eye color or a hair color, and you kind of have to put the rest together yourself, which I think is why Sarah's books are so, so popular, is because she doesn't get bogged down by too much detail. It's always just the right amount. It's always just placed perfectly. So her scent is citrus and cinnamon. Citrus is a very night court. Um, Reese's is, is like citrus and jasmine, I think, or like moon jasmine or something like that. So citrus and night court can be tied together. The cinnamon though. I dug, I dug very deep. I dug very long and very hard into all the scents in the SJM world. And cinnamon is actually like never brought up except for one time. And that is a lead. A lead is scent is elderberry and cinnamon. But... Bryce, Ember, the Autumn King, Nehemiah all have nutmeg scents. Nutmeg and cinnamon do go together, especially in like pancakes (laughs) or French toast. So I think there could be something said about um, cinnamon being kind of loosely tied to nutmeg in the literal spice department. And these characters all having very similar... Similarness. We know that Bryce and the Autumn King are both technically Starborn, come from Starborn line. Ember, uh, no, but also we don't really know much about Ember's family line or where she comes from, so there could be something there. We know that Nehemia, Nehemiah, however you want to pronounce it, I literally switch back and forth. Depends on if I remember to pronounce it the quote-unquote correct way. Was who knows what she, like, I I mean, she, I I would love to talk about Elwell and all my thoughts on Elwell because I honestly have so many thoughts with them. But I think it's interesting that Nehemia Nehemia Nehemiah also has this nutmeg scent. But a lead, oh, a lead in the cinnamon scent and a lead being tied with being able to, like, they basically say that her lying is an art form. Like, Lorcan is blown away by the way that I think he even like it's like kind of like a direct quote that she like weaves weaves lies and truth together to the point where like he, even he gets mesmerized and he can't tell the difference and she like plays people and also that Alid has this voice that's constantly telling her like yes or no and we get something very similar with Moore in that sense but we know that Moore has some type of truth gift and we're going to talk about it later. So I guess we should just put a pin in that and I'll come back to it when we talk about like the Ventress and all that stuff. We get her, that she has a brown eyes of varying likeness. Um, she, her brown eyes glimmer, glow. They're kind of, they're either like amber or rich And that can also be said about Bryce. Her eyes are whiskey colored. Bryce and her father have the exact same eye color. They're both described as whiskey color. Bryce's eyes have gold flecks when very, very close, like lovers close because only Hunt notes it. And we've never had a lover perspective with Moore. So we've never been like that close to Moore. But I wouldn't be surprised if she also has like gold flecks in her eyes. But it's only noted one time that Bryce has gold flecks in her eyes. And aside from when she's in the bone quarter in Hosab, it one time gets mentioned that her eyes are a flat yellow, which just makes me scream Manon's name to the top of my lungs. But we also have these, like, very interesting ties to witches with more as well. So there could be something about both of them having the same eye color and then Bryce's eyes sometimes being yellow, Manon's eyes being yellow, blah, blah, blah. blah. It's like a, a snowball effect that goes down the line. But I have looked through and, like, this amber eye color is used for, like, a specific amount of people... Helion, Iris, Cormac, Bryce, the Autumn King, Gavriel, and a few other people all have similar eye color that are all described very similar with like goldish warm brown, amber colored. But more shares very similar looks to Cormac and the Avalon Fae. So definitely, definitely tied. The same way that in Crescent City, you have Rune who looks like Reese. And then you have a loose cousin tied to Rune, who is Cormac, who looks like more. And they, Rune and Cormac, both share starborn bloodline. Cormac could have potentially been able to pour, pull the star sword from its sheath or whatever in the cave of the princes. So I'm gonna assume that he, f- if he thought he could pull the sword, G- um, Gwydion, the star sword, then he must have some starborn blood in him, the same way that Rune does. So, uh, I mean, Reese and Moore are loosely related, but I also think that's the same way that <laughs> I know nobody likes to remember this, but the same way that Rowan and Aelyn are related. Like, they share a bloodline technically um, in the same way. So, it is there. But we get that she has light footsteps, she has bright golden hair, she's sun kissed, glowing. Bryce's skin has like a gold dust to it. Everything about her is like glowy. It says she glows in the morning sun. We know that High Lords and whatnot all have a glow that they keep glamoured. I think there's something to be said about more also having that as well. Maybe hers is less glamoured because she likes to shine. In Acomaf 16, we learn that more is, believe it or not, the only pure-blooded, titled person in this room. That's a direct quote. So, Moore is pure-blooded in the same way that Cormac is pure-blooded. So, at the very least, Bryce is going to shine for Moore. I think that'll happen. I went back through the ending of Hosab to that very last chapter, and yes, I did have a heart attack the same exact way I always do when I look at that last chapter. Like, I never believe that it's real, and then I look at it, and it's totally real. But Moore wasn't there, and I also think it's really interesting because... We want to say that Asriel is probably tied to the dust court, but there was no mention of her glowing for any of the people in that room. Like, it was Asriel, Cassian, Nesta, Reese, Amryn, and Farah who were in the room, or that she met so far that we know of. And none of them are pure blooded. And she didn't glow for any of them. But granted, she was drained, And I don't know if her being, like, drained magically also drains her star. I really need to get on my Crescent City reread because going through this Starborn stuff and then trying to, like, look at it again, I was like, I, a fever dream. Crescent City is a fever dream to me and I, I almost don't even feel confident doing this episode because I'm like, I just, I want to always be the best that I can be for you guys and I don't know if I am right now because I was trying to figure out who is starborn what does it mean to be starborn and I got literally nowhere I think it's just gonna have to wait until I've done my Christmas City reread and it's all fresh in my head again but in Akamath 17 we learn about Moore's family and her history and it's when they're on their way when they're on the prison at the Isles and it says this which we've read this a hundred times, and I'm going to keep reading it because it never gets old to me. Where are we? I said, our first words since winnowing in a moment ago. "'Volaris had been brisk, sunny. This place, however, it was freezing, deserted, barren. Only rock and grass, mist and sea. On the island in the heart of the Western Isles, Rhys said, staring up at the Mammoth Mountain. And that, he said, pointing to it, is the prison. "'There was nothing. No one around. I don't see anything. The rock is the prison, and inside it are the foulest, most dangerous creatures and criminals you can imagine. Go inside, inside the stone, under another mountain. This place, he said, was made before High Lords existed, before Perithian was Perithian. Some of the inmates remember those days, remember a time when it was Moore's family, not mine, that ruled the north. So Moore is a pure-blooded fae whose family had been carefully cultivating in its bloodlines, and they originally ruled the north, and he's standing specifically where the dust court was where he's talking about this. So they originally ruled the dust court. Reese later states that the prison is considered that eighth court. So again, we're standing on ground zero. We're standing at the home of the Starborn fey. fae and they are talking about Moore's family originally ruling it. And the inmates remember those days when it was Moore's family, not mine, that ruled the North. So it's not even like after Thea and Finan had left that Moore's family ruled. It was before that. It was before that. Like, I, I can't, I can't express this enough. That Moore's family is tied to the Starborn Fae. Whether anyone likes it or not, more is going to be incredibly important with Bryce in Perithian. And we'll talk about it when I move on to my final thoughts. And then, just before we move into her powers, or to move into her powers, Rhys says that Moore is who I call in when armies fail, Cassian and Azrael are both dead. She is the third most powerful in both the Night Court and in Valaris, and he considers her a queen. So some people have tried to say that, like, is who I call when the armies fail and Cassian and Azrael are both dead, and they kind of take that as she's not very powerful because why wouldn't he use her beforehand or something like that? But I think it's to say that, like, when the armies fail and Cass and Az are gone, more is... The one who steps up and takes care of business there could be a lot to be said like what is this power that she has and the one thing i really want to heavily heavily preference is we do not know the full extent of the starborn power because bryce did not train her powers we do know that they were able to fight against the asteri so they they were powerful and that they probably were able to direct their power in a way that was deadly, that we don't know about than other just, other than just glowing. Like, they can use it to defeat Valg-like beings, as we see with the Black Blood of the Reapers, that we see with Dorian and Aelin when they glow like newborn stars, that they were able to defeat the, like, the Valg power that was in Dorian, and also the Valg that was in his father, and able to shield off the darkness of the Valg, all that stuff. Like, I mean, we could pull into Yurine and her star-like power and how that was able to defeat a Valg imprint that was left in Kale, And that was uh, an eight-pointed star, I even believe, the scar that he had on his back. So, like, there's so much to say about this power being able to be used as a weapon and being able to defeat things. You could even go further and talk about the death maidens that are likened to the healers in Throne of Glass and how they were able to to unmake the gate. So, like, there's so much to this power we just don't know about and aren't sure about. But it was deadly. Like, it, it was used in war somehow, whether it was just directed through other things to create something that can be used as... A weapon, I don't really know, but like it can be used as weapon. We just haven't seen it in its full uh, ability. The whole point in Hosab, or the whole point throughout Crescent City, was, you know, Adis and Apollyon saying train, 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 and Bryce was like no, <laughs> not no, but she just didn't. She didn't train. She tried. She she trained to winnow, but she didn't train her Starborn power at all. And I think they keep saying that she has powers and gifts, and she's not training she didn't train any of them. And like, that's probably what Crescent City 3 and her time on Perithian is going to be is her training. So there's so much to say on Bryce. I loved, I, there's actually, I was looking through um, Crescent City and I saw something about when she was making her drop that made me lose my mind that I want to spend like hours just talking out. Um, And I think maybe I'll do it one day, but not today because we're talking about more. We do get some tellings of Moore's power and in Akawar thirteen, we get the stare of the Morgan, whose gift was pure truth. I think that it's an interesting wording. There is pure truth when there's like pure light, you know, whatever. I think that there's something there, and I also want to say that in biblical, there's like a in the Bible it says like I am the light and I am the truth. So this truth and light kind of going hand in hand. That the truth will always be revealed, things that... light is what reveals things. So I think that there's something to be said poetically about light and truth being hand in hand. And also that Moore's gift is truth, but she is smothering it in the darkness of her lies. Like, there's just so much poetic metaphors to go along with Moore and light and truth. Like, it all... it in my head, and I don't know if it's just because I've convinced myself so very entirely of this theory that it's 90% canon to me with 10% of, you know, humble, humility, I could be wrong thing. But the the thing is, is, like, we're always saying, what is Moore's power? Why does Sarah keep it so hidden? What if she just hid it for a reason? Like, without letting it slip that Moore is also starborn? Like, because it needs to be a power that is not something that's used on the regular. It's not something that's very showy. Not something, well, not showy. I was going to say, not flashy, but then it's light. But you know what I mean? Like, something that's not, not water. You know, like, it's just, it's not something simple. It's something that's very complex. And the Starborn is very complex. You try and sit, go through Crescent City and be like, what does it mean to be Starborn? I honestly, I, I do not know. I do not understand. I was trying to understand that last night. i I think there's something to be said. Like, you don't know what it means to be starborn, but we don't know what it means for Moore's power to be, like, the truth. But also, Moore's power could also be more than one thing. Like, her gift could be truth, and her gift could also be something else, and both can be true because people who- people have multiple different powers in all of the SJM universe. Like, you have alan 's gift of flame, but she also has a small gift of water and a small gift of healing. You have Reese, who is a Demetti, but he also has a Darkbringer power. Like, both are true. So, Moore's Gift could be truth, but it could also be something else. And I think that's what's being said here, but it's never, like, expressly said. Because the truth can't win battles. The truth can't kill people. You can't truth someone to death. Like, unless you're using Truth Teller, in which you're just stabbing them with a truth blade. So like, there's something else here that I just, the only possible explanation, because anything else would be a letdown, because then what would be the point of hiding it if not to just hide the dust court? And also, like, I just keep thinking about things being hidden and it's like, okay, Valaris, the city of starlight was hidden. But when more came into her power, I think it is the only, the only evidence I feel like I need was when Reese was talking about her family ruling the North and this chapter, Akamath 22. And this is when she's telling Farah about, you know, her life. And she says, in the court of nightmares, she went on, that voice falling soft and a bit cold once more. Females are prized. Our virginity is guarded and then sold off to the highest bidder, whatever male will be of the most advantage to our families. I kept dressing, if only to give myself something to do with the horror of what I began to suspect slither through my bones and blood. I was born stronger than anyone in my family, even the males, and I couldn't hide it because they could smell it the same way You can smell a high lord's air before he comes into power. The power leaves a mark, an echo. When I was twelve, before I bled, I prayed it meant no male would take me as a wife, that I would escape what my elder cousins had endured, loveless, sometimes brutal marriages. I tugged my blouse over my head and buttoned the velvet cuffs at my wrist before adjusting the sheer turquoise sleeve in place. But when I began bleeding a few days after I turned 17, the moment my first blood came, my power awoke in full force, and even that god-stammed mountain trembled around us. But instead of being horrified, every single ruling family in Hewen City saw me as a prize mare, saw that power, and wanted to breed it into their bloodline over and over again. Like a high lord's heir! coming into power. Like, need I say more? Like, I literally feel like I should just hit end and just walk away. Like, that's all I need to say is that Moore's power is likened to a high lord's heir same way that Farrah's power was likened to a high lord's heir. And guess what Farrah is? A high freaking lady. Like, I, I feel and s- like, I feel like shaking the book. <sighs> nothing gets me like, like this, this, this chapter literally makes me want to foam at the mouth feral. Uh, 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 Like the fact that it gets ignored all the time. Like when I was, I had, made a TikTok about talking about how if Reese's birthright could be to be a high lord, then by default, so could it be more. And Amron even later says that if Reese doesn't take up the role, somebody else will. The only other person who technically has a right, bloodline-wise, would be more or Nyx. And Nyx is a baby. I guess also Bryce and Rune. And Cormac, technically. Technically. If you want to go down into semantics, you know? I literally, like, the mountains shook. The mountains tremble for Reese. Like, unhinged. But the mountains shook. Sister Peaks. The prison. Like, it's all there. It's all there. Again, her eyes are described as bright. (laughs) <laughs> in this chapter, which I just need to point out. And I think that there's also something to say about Moore's family betrothing her to Eris. Eris, who has flame power, to Cormac, who is an Avalon Faye, being betrothed to Bryce, who is of the Autumn Court lineage who also sometimes demonstrates foreshadowing of flame power. Cormac also does have flame power. So, like, either way, it could be Starborn and a flame power, again, trying to be melded together. Which would probably produce someone who has special flames like Aelin. Just saying. Like, there's stuff there. There's so much stuff. Like, there's so many, like, subtle parallels between Moore and Bryce that it makes me, like, f- like sweaty. <laughs> with excitement. Like, my palms get, like, sweaty because I'm just like, they're both partiers. They both have cold-dusted skin. They both are, (laughs) like, (laughs) they both strung along a good man for no reason. I shouldn't say that. That shouldn't be said. I should cut that, but I'm probably not going to. So, to talk about Moore's power, we should actually look at when her power is used. And I think the best time that her power is expressly used is when they're using the Veritas. Now, Veritas is actually a Latin word for truth, truthfulness, and sometimes it's even the personification of a god, truth, the name of the god of truth. So there's something there, but to be said about truth. But when we're talking about Moore's family... (laughs) This is so good. This is so good. Um, The history of Moore's family and then also the Veritas. In Acomaf 41, they say this. There was an orb, it turned out, that belonged to Moore's family for a millennia, multiple thousands of years. The Veritas. It was rife with the truth magic she claimed to possess, that many in her bloodline also bore, that the Veritas was one of their most valued and guarded talismans. And then further down it says the orb was known amongst the humans had been wielded by them in the war which don't even ask me about i don't that causes me stress uh, to think i don't how, how how did you wield that in war i don't know um in house of sky and breath 73 Regulus says, you are starborn, have the horn bound to your body and power. Your ancestors wielded the horn and other fey objects that allowed them to enter this world, stolen, of course, from their original masters, our people, which, how is it a fey object, but also an Asteri object? It's probably, was a fey object, but the Asteris stole That they stole back, like most things. And then, in Acusi- like, we can tie this back to it being starborn... Whatever power is in Acafe fifty five. Reese ran a hand over a page of the book. Finan was betrayed by his queen, who had been a leader of her own territory, and by his dearest friend, who was his general. They killed him, taking some of his bloodline's most powerful and precious weapons. And then, out of the chaos that followed, the seven high lords rose, and the courts have been in place ever since. So, he had multiple different items that were used. Moore's family used to rule the north apparently the orb can be used in war they took his most powerful and precious weapons meaning that there were others that they didn't take uh uh come on sarah i see through you i see you but they actually used the veritas in akama 57 and it says i'm gonna skip i'm not gonna read the whole thing because there's so much to be like there, this is a whole big chunk but It says this, Moore opened the lid of a black box. The silver orb inside glimmered like a star under glass. This is the Veritas, Moore said, a voice that was young and old. The gift of my first ancestor to our bloodline. Only a few times in the history of Perithian have we used it, have we unleashed the truth upon the world. And then it later says that there was light that leaked out of it, That her eyes were not wholly of this earth, and I looked into that phrase, the voice of young and old, and Amrin sometimes has it, Bryaxis has it, Deanna has it, the voice that talks to a lead has it, and the surreal also have it. So I don't think it was like it wasn't nothing. So we have a star under glass and light, the gift of my first ancestor, the. first ancestors who ruled the north. So anyways, moving on. Her other powers, which are winnowing, healing, glamoring, shielding, all of that, and she glows, all of this are same things that high lords all can do and high lord heirs can all do. She also has a huge reserve. It's basically said that more winnows to the continents... So she has to be very powerful because I don't think, like, Lucian can winnow that far. I feel like, I feel like it said, like, he can't, like, winnow as much as, like, Tamlin can or something like that. Don't hold me accountable to that. But more can winnow to the continent. Reese can also winnow to the continent. Moore can also carry other people with her when she winnows, which some people can't do. So she has a very big reserve. She also has that, like, Reese. In Akama fifty one, it says that Reese had a glow returning to his face, like his High Lord glow, and Moore also kind of has that about her. So she has all the same powers as them, can match them with her reserve. There's so much that ties her to the High Lords, other than literally her power being likened into a High Lord's heir. <laughs> and Moore and Reese are basically the same age, so they both would have been coming into their powers at the same time. Reese was a High Lord's heir. So we have a high lord to the night court and his heir, but more is also being likened to a high lord's heir, and there's a missing court in the north. So two people coming into their power at the same time, both being likened or high lord's heirs, and we having, like, us having, like, a supposed eighth court. Like, I feel like there's just so much subtext to this that it can't be ignored. But does Moore actually have any light powers to suggest that she's starborn? Well, I want to look at Azriel's shadows and the way that it—it's always talked about when Moore and Az are in the same room or near each other. In Akamath sixteen, I think it is shows it the very best or second best. But we'll do it first because then there's Akimov 22. But it says, Both Illyrians turned towards her. Cassian braced his feet slightly farther apart on the floor in a fighting stance I knew all too well. It was almost enough to distract me from noticing Azriel as those shadows lightened. This is when Moore first comes into the room. So his shadows lighten. Further down it says, Moore patted Azriel on the shoulder as she dodged his outstretched wings. Relax as, No fighting tonight. We promised Reese. The lurking shadows vanished entirely as Azriel's head dipped a bit. So, when we talk about Azriel's shadows, there's only twice that it's really noted that they disappear, or three times. Three times it note they disappear. Once is when he in Akasif when he goes out into the sunlight. Most of his shadows disappear, except for one that stays curled up at his neck when he's in direct sunlight. And then with Elaine, they aren't prone to linger. Not that they vanish, but they give him privacy when he's with Elaine. And then with Moore, when she touches him, they actually disappear. When she's near him, they lighten. When she looks at him, they brighten up. Like, they basically fade away. Light and darkness. In Akamath 22, it says, him and Asriel, that is. Yes, Asriel who kept a step away, whose shadows trailed him and seemed to fade in her presence. I opened my mouth to ask about her history with him, but the clock chimed 10. Time to go. So, light fading. Another times that it talks about glow and brightness when it comes to more is in Akwar 35, when they're talking about her seraphim blade. I nodded once, and Moore drew her slender, curving blade. It gleamed as brightly as Amran's eyes, that seraphim steel. I unsheathed my Illyrian blade from across my back, the metal, dark, and ancient by comparison to the living silver flame in her hand. Interesting wording, silver flame there. In Aquar 36, again, when they're talking about this particular blade, it says, Moore's quick silver blade rise and fall in lightning bright Flashes. So again, bright, gleaming, you know, it's just like always kind of there with her. So let's move on to her likeness. I really don't want to just reiterate what I had said last week because I did talk all about this, but I want to just point out that she is constantly a shimmer of light in darkness, like literally all the time. Her hair is bright, her laugh is bright, her footsteps are bright, she shimmers in the darkness her eyes are bright, she basks in the light, her hair shines. And in Acaphas 56, it says, indeed, in the library's deep gloom, more shone like a ray of sunshine that even the darkness at the bottom seemed to slither away. So if we're going to talk about likeness being foreshadowing Sarah J Mass, everything about more, every single thing about her shimmers glows, is light, is bright, is shiny. But speaking of foreshadowing, let's move on to it. In Akamath 65, when they're in Highburn, it says this, more on her knees beside Cassian, hurled for the king with a cry of pure wrath. He sent a punch of power to her. She dodged a knife angled in her hand. Now remember, the king of Highburn has light powers, just like Amarantha does. So she was able to anticipate and work around his power. Very interesting. A knife angled in her hand, and Asriel cried out in pain. She froze, stopped a foot from the throne. Her knife clattered onto the floor. The king rose. What a mighty queen you are, he breathed, and more backed away, step by step. What a prize, the king said, that black gaze devouring her. Asriel's head lifted from where he was sprawled in his own blood, eyes full of rage and pain, as he snarled at the king, don't you touch her. Moore looked at Azriel, and there was a real fear there. Fear and something else. She didn't stop moving until she again knelt beside him and pressed a hand to his wound. Azriel hissed but covered her bloody fingers with his own. So she's likened to a queen. And then I feel like this is really, really good paralleling between Erwin, who is a Valg, and I've kind of had the running... I've had, like, two thoughts about hyburn One, that he could have been Asteri because he had a bright, light power that's used multiple times, and the Asteri have a bright, light leashing power, the same way that Hyburn like, leashes Tam and Lucian. So there could be that, or he could be somewhat Valg and maybe is... Yes, I don't know, has a, a power that we is either he's using the power of the cauldron that's this bright light or something else. I don't know. But Amarantha did also have a light power. So, but there is a lot of parallel to Hibern and Valg just with his black gaze. Also that he has Valg-like creatures at his disposal, that they're all like really just cruel and horrible, Hibern is. So there's like stuff there to be said. But the parallel between Erwin and Hibern Highburn and more, and Erowyn and Urene. When Urene and Erwin finally meet at the end of Kingdom of Ash, he says how, like she's a prize that he's been like he's been looking for. Her. He like he doesn't give a crap about this war, about Maeve, about anything as long as he can get his hands on Urine. because Urene and the healers of Tog are just like the Valg Death Maidens, who are the ones who had similar powers that were able to make the keys so there's like this parallel here what a prize that he could use her but there's some power that he knows more has that he could use in the same way that Irwin wanted to use with Urene um I want to put a pin in this this Asriel and more bit but they say and some fear in something else that is um big old red flag right there. But we're going to talk about Asriel and Moore's relationship in a second, how I do think it actually proves that both of them are tied to the desk court. But first, I want to talk about what Rhys says about Moore in Ackwar 69, because that whole bit was, I think, really great foreshadowing and likeness, Rhys's speech. But when he talks about Moore, he says this, if I had not met my cousin, I wouldn't have never learned that light can be found even in the darkest of hells, that kindness can thrive even amongst cruelty. So we have light in the dark, and then also light and hell. Hell and the Starborn, hell of Crescent City and the Starborn are linked together. So I think there's just something really there, just something there. And then in Acaphas 14, or throughout all of Acaphas, it's kind of hinted at more not staying in the Night Court, and how she's kind of like looking, wondering what else is out there for her, what more she can be. And I think the same thing can be said about Asriel and Elaine. If Elaine is going to help conquer this mountain, as we've talked about the sister peaks, the sister motif, they're each conquering a mountain, Farrah and under the mountain, Nesta and Ramil, that would leave Elaine and the prison. So Elaine not staying in the night court, which has been foreshadowed a lot of times. Azrael not staying in the night court was foreshadowed that he doesn't feel like he belongs anywhere or he doesn't understand where he belongs yet, which I know where he belongs, and then also more. But they're not going to leave the night court altogether. They're not going to cut their friendship with Reese. So, like, there has to be a way that all of these people are going to, quote-unquote, leave the night court but still remain close. And how is that going to happen? I think that's going to happen with the dust court. I don't know much to say about Elaine I mean other than she needs to conquer her mountain I guess technically maybe if that's the theme here but how is Azriel and more who have lived with Cassian and Reese for 500 years they're not, like they're not gonna just leave them hanging they're not just gonna like peace I'm done with you and move to the continent like they're still gonna stay close but how are they gonna stay close but also be doing their own thing the dust court so let's talk about that. If Moore becomes the Duskort High Lady, she's gonna need people with her, right? So we're gonna need, not only is she gonna need people to rule, maybe, but she's also gonna need people helping her. I think that Asriel and Moore are bound together, but not as mates. I think Asriel is her knight. We learn that Bright shines for her knights. We know that whenever Moore is around Asriel, his shadows lighten because she shines. There's like an inner shine to her that is heightened when she's touching him, when she's close to him. But if we look really deep into Azriel and Moore's relationship, from the moment they met, something changed. From the moment that, I mean, Hunt is Bryce's mate, but Hunt is also Bryce's knight, one of her knights. From the moment that Hunt and Bryce meet, there is this protection between the two of them, which, yes, can be also a mate's thing. You could also try and say that maybe Asriel and Moore have a mate bond that they are ignoring. Maybe. Fine. Whatever. I don't think that's true because I really think that Moore's mate will be a female. But there's just a lot of, there's a lot to be said about um, Hunt also being one of Bryce's knights. A knight protects their lady. A knight does knightly things. Knight in shining armor, you know, kind of thing. But When we look at Asriel and Moore's relationship, you can really see it. He is a knight to his queen. I don't think Asriel. I don't really know if Asriel loves Moore because he's never admitted it. It, There's never been a moment of, like, yes, I've been in love with Moore. But maybe he's confused by this quote unquote pull. And he's like, well, I, I feel this pull to her. I feel this primal need to protect her. And the only thing that they know about, because the Starborns have been forgotten or ignored or whatever, or their customs have been lost, that they're like, oh, it must be a mating bond. And so they're like, well, maybe it's just a mating bond and they're trying to ignore it. But maybe it's not. Maybe this pull is a knight to his queen. Because everything he does is protecting her. He only steps towards her. He only goes to Moore when she feels that she's in danger and vice versa. Whenever Asriel is in danger or whenever he's on the verge of being hurt, Cassian makes a joke about him flying or tries to bring up stuff about his past, Moore steps in. And typically Moore doesn't like to step in for, because she doesn't want to give Asriel the wrong impression, but she still does it when she feels that he is in quote unquote danger. So I don't think it's a mating bond because in Akawar 24, it says, when they're talking about loyalty, so is Azriel. Asriel, Reese says, has been preoccupied with the same female for the past 500 years. Wouldn't the mating bond have snapped into place for them if it exists? Reese's eyes shuddered. I think that is a question Azriel has been asking himself every day since he met Moir. He sighed. I finished one foot and started on the other am I allowed to request that you not play matchmaker? Let them sort it out. So again, so there is this, everyone thinks that there's a bond between them, but if it was a mating bond, it probably would have snapped in by now, (laughs) but it hasn't. So what is this pull? In Acomath 42, they're talking about someone going to the human realm and we have this. We could try again, Moore said. Let me speak to them. Let me go to their palace. No, Azriel said. Moore raised her brows and a faint color stained Azriel's tanned face, but his features were set, his hazel eyes solid. You are not setting foot in the human realm. I fought the war. You will do well to remember. No, Asriel said again, refusing to break her stare. His shifting wings rasped against the back of his chair. They would string you up and make an example out of you. They would have to catch me first. That palace is a death trap for our kind. Azriel countered interesting oh so interesting, oh my goodness so interesting Azriel never oh Azriel never um accept his illyrian side, but he just said our kind when talking to Moore. huh Hmm. Azriel countered his voice low and rough, built by Fay hands to protect the humans from us. you set foot inside it more and you won't walk out again. Why do you think we have such trouble getting a foothold in there? If going into their territory isn't an option, I cut in before Moore could say whatever the temper lining her features pissed at her to retort and surely wound the shadow singer more than she intended. Oh, and then when they're talking about in the same chapter, um, they're talking about what happened to Moore. Asriel found her a day later and it was all I could do to keep him from going to either court and slaughtering them all so asriel was the one who found her and if it's not a mating bond it has to be something else that draws him to her constantly but we also have more is always very attuned to asriel and asriel is very attuned to her and they do seek each other out to calm the other when the other is gone or when the other has done something like there is they're, they're dancing around each other and In Moore's own words, when she's doing her lesbian life story, in Akawar 66, she says this. Moore rubbed her face. You're right about me, though. You were... Her hands shook as she lowered it. She gnawed on her lip, throat bobbing. Her eyes at last met mine, bright and fearful and anguished. Her voice broke as she said, I do not love Asriel. I remained perfectly still listening. No, that's not true either. I do love him as my family. And sometimes I wonder if it can be more, but I do not love him. Not in the way he feels for me. I think it's really interesting that she says like, it's not true either. Like I, I sometimes wonder if it can be more, but it's not. And, and I think that's, I think they're both feeling something, <laughs> but they don't understand what it is. And they're like, it's not a mating bond because it, we would have known by now. But it's something like that. And I think that can be said about a knight and his queen. And that's all I'm going to say on that. So I think that, like, another proof is that um, at least them both being starborn uh, or something like that is their relationship. I think their relationship is really telling to something bigger between the both of them. And um, I don't think it's just, you know, Azriel pining after someone for 500 years because more also feels something. It's not one-sided. So other proof that i have is an akasif 22 they are talking about high lord's firstborn when they're talking about nyx and it says it wasn't guaranteed that the high lord's firstborn would be his heir the magic sometimes took a while to decide and often jumped around the birth order completely sometimes it found a cousin instead sometimes it abandoned the bloodline entirely or chose the heir the moment in birth, in the echoes of the newborn's first cries. It wouldn't matter to Cassian, though, if Reese's son inherited his world-shaking power or barely a drop. So I think there's just something to be said about, um, like, just because Bryce has this starborn power doesn't automatically make her the ruler of the Dust Court. You know, it could go to a cousin. But I guess, you know, same could be said about, you know, more being family once ruling the North doesn't mean that it's always going to be Moore's family. It could be somebody else's family. It could be Bryce. I, it could go either way, but I'm going to say, no, it's going to go to Moore. We also know that Bryce doesn't know the extent of her powers, so we can't we can't really not say that Moore is not Starborn because we also don't know the extent of Moore's power, so they parallel each other. Other proof that I have um, centers around the, the word truth and where we see it in other places. We have Dusk's truth. The Dusk Court's truth. It feels like it's being like I feel like Sarah is reaching through the back the book and slapping me in the face a little bit. Like we have Dusk's court and the truth of what happened. Moore's family having a history of this truth power, and Moore's family also coming from the north where the Dusk Court was. I I I I literally cannot. We have a truth. Teller being a star sword s- trove, part of the star sword's trove, truth. <laughs> we have that, um, Damaris is the truth sword. Damaris also glows, so like it's all like truth and starborn and glow all circle around each other. And I, I, I me being me, wants to just be like, okay, truth and starborns must just go to hand in hand. there could be maybe another reasoning for this, but I don't know it. And I, like, they're, they're circling each other and they're paralleling each other. So it must mean something. And I just want to be like, it must mean that one of these powers we don't know about when it comes to Starborn is this truth, something. Another proof is in Akafas 24 with that bit of darkness that was watching her there between the... snarl of thorns a patch of darkness it did not move it did not seem to do anything but linger and watch familiar yet foreign something in her power whispered not to touch it not to go near it even from this distance more obeyed but she still watched that darkness in the thorns as if a shadow had fallen asleep amongst them not like as real shadows twinning and whispering something different something that stared back watching her in turn so familiar yet foreign if it is adis and she is starborn that could explain it that her power comes from the starborn line and the Starborn line does know Aedis and whatever darkness he might have, if it is Aedis. If it is an Aedis, there is still um, a shadow that's been watching people with uh, Starborn-like something-something Starborn. You know, we have Yurin getting a patch of darkness in Tower of Dawn watching her. We have the patch of darkness watching Nesta. We have this patch of darkness watching more. But I think something really interesting to say about Bryce not ruling is, and somebody else ruling instead, comes from House of Earth and Blood eighty-seven. Her sword. She's talking about Gwydion. It was her sword and Runes, so it's not just hers because she also gives credit to Rune. Rune also can wield it. And with that light in her veins, with the star that slumbered inside of her heart, the star sword had recognized her not as royal, worthy fay, but as kin kin to those who had forged it long ago, like called to like. So Gwydion, the star sword, does not recognize her as royal, as ruling. And I think that is, that is so telling, that there is something so strong in that, that I do not think that, I'm not sure if Bryce will keep the star sword. I really don't. I don't, I I, I really don't know. And I just think it's such a weird thing, because I it would have been so easy for her to say that the Star Sword recognized her, just recognized her as Starborn. Like, Sarah could have just said that, but she went one step farther to say that she, it didn't recognize her as royal, but those who had made it. Oh! I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Like, it just... Ooh, just. Ooh. And also, because we have, like, Damaris, who claims Dorian, basically. Like, Aelin's literally like, this is not my sword, this is yours. So, like, Aelin could wield it, but it wasn't hers. In the same way that Rune could wield it and Bryce can wield it. But does that mean that it's theirs? Like, maybe bryce will end up claiming truth teller like there's there's so many other or maybe bryce is going to end up claiming nerebin why bring up nerebin if it's not going to get claimed by somebody so who's going to claim it if Guidian doesn't recognize her as queen as ruler as royal but just someone who made it what about nerebin what if nerebin calls to her we know that the next book is probably going to be house of many waters where was nerebin chucked into the water come on come on sarah come on to you i see you i see things the only tiny little cog in my wheel of more not being starborn is well actually it can it can go two ways it can either be like no she isn't starborn or yes definitely now she is starborn so it's going to just depend on you and how you receive this information in akamath 16 it says this Moore's fingers stilled on the stem of her wine glass, her eyes narrowing on Amryn, The jewels and red gown, all perhaps a way to downplay whatever dark power rolled in her veins. So she specifically says a dark power, but again, Farah was just being introduced to the Night Court. She was just being introduced to everybody. So like, she might not have known to say any different, but, but when talking about Starborn, we have to remember Rune. So there's Bryce, but there's also Rune, and there's also technically Reese, we suppose, because he looks just like Rune. So they have to come from the same line somehow, whatever. But it says, night-haired Helena, whose golden skin poured starlight and shadow. Moore's family, Kier, are dark bringers. They have very similar powers to Reese and Rune. I mean, people try to say that Rune might be a shadow singer. I think, I don't know, maybe he's actually just... A dark. I kind of think he might just be a dark bringer because his shadows don't necessarily act the same way. But he could just be untrained. But it. But Cormac also has shadows and darkness and night, and he is also from the Starborn line. So like, there's something there and there and that. But if the rule is that a Starborn must have. Whose golden skin port starlight and shadows, Moore does have the possibility. And she could just never use it because she doesn't like equating any power to her father, which I can understand in the deepest, darkest depths of my soul. Being like, I'm not using it because it comes from my father. More could just be like that, but it doesn't. Like, she could still have that power of a dark bringer, of nightness, like Reese and Kier. <laughs> so you can either take it as, okay, she has a dark power. Dark power is not. Starborns are light, blah, 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 blah. But. Also, Helena had night-haired Helena, who's golden skin, poured starlight, and shadow. And it says that Thea and her daughter both had these gifts. And the missing daughter both had these gifts. So it does go hand in hand. But how is this going to play into Crescent City 3? Well, here's how I think it's going to go. Bryce has landed into Perithian, or is going to either already been there and she was with Nyx, or maybe Elaine was with Nyx or maybe Elaine and Moore were with Nyx while they were dealing with this intruder. I don't know. Moore and Bryce are going to end up meeting eventually and they're both going to start glowing for each other probably. And Bryce is going to be like, I need to learn how, like, I'm here. First, we need to learn how to get me back second, I need to learn how to train. Or they're going to be like, well, you're here. You might as well train with us. Or Moore's going to be like, well, I can teach you how to use the starborn gift because I do know how to use it because I have it. I just don't like to show it because X, Y, and Z. They're going to be talking and she's going to be like, oh, you glow for this guy. He must be one of your knights or he must be one of us. And then more and ads are going to be like, oh shit, it's not a mating bond. What a relief. Here I thought we were going to have to dance around each other forever. And they're going to settle... Whatever is between them, because more is gonna real is going to accept her starbornness, accept her role as discord high lady, help Bryce, who is one of her kind and one of you know whatever uh whatever, <laughs> and then her and Az are gonna look at each other and actually have a conversation, and this will lead into them getting their prospective relationships. This also is going to tie back to the Pegasuses. I know it sounds crazy, but it is actually going to because Moore said that she wanted to start with the Valkyries. All three of the Valkyries were foreshadowed with Pegasuses. Pegasuses used to live on the dust court. Moore said she wanted to train with the Valkyries. The Valkyries will be getting Pegasuses. Bryce has also been foreshadowed with Pegasuses because they're tied to the dust court. Maybe Bryce will become an honoree Valkyrie. Same with Moore. They're all going to ride Pegasuses together. The Valkyries will become the Dusk Court Legion because there's no way that the Valkyries will ever be able to um, comfortably work with the Illyrians. But if they're all going to be work... Like, they're all going to stay with each other. The Dusk Court needs a Legion. It'll be the Valkyries with their Pegasuses. And they're also going to be working with the Night Court because they'll be best friends. And it'll all work out. So Cassian will run... Be commander of the Night Court Legion his wife and mate will be commander and run the dust court legion. And it'll work out really great. Just perfect. Asriel doesn't feel like he belongs in the night court, doesn't know where he belongs. Same with Moore. They're both going to kind of take up roles in the dust court. I just like, it feels like it all can be so easily laid out and like, uh, what's the word? How do I want it? Like snowballed. So like, Bryce trains with Moore. They learn about knights. Moore and Az have a conversation or leads into when Moore and Az has their conversations. Like, maybe I think you're my knight and that's what we feel. And they're like, okay, now we've talked about this, like, grown adults. They're 500 years old and they just, like, won't have a freaking conversation. And then they both are able to move on. Moore ends up coming with Emery and Asriel ends up going with just kidding. You think I was going to say something like that? No. But it does end up opening up Asriel's story and Asriel's healing journey because him and More will have this conversation and it all makes sense. So that's how I think it's going to go. I also think I mean, I think that Bryce is going to end up getting siphons and we can talk about that some other time. But it all kind of like ties together very beautifully because Asriel can help her train with siphons. More can help her train with her starborn power. Blah, 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 blah. And then they send Bryce on her merry way and she ends up meeting with Aelin. Aelin teaches her how to use her fire powers. And I'm just kidding. I have no idea how it's going to, how Tog will tie in, but Tog will tie in probably through the witches and with Dorian. I wouldn't say, I think Aelin will help, but I don't think Aelin's going to be like a quote unquote main, main character. I think if anything, anyone from Tog will be main characters, it's going to be Dorian and Manon. So yeah, that's how I think everything is going to go. Wow, that kind of so nicely. I'm so proud of myself. I did it all. No, I really think I got everything. So what do you think? Do you think that more is starborn? Do you think I'm crazy? Um, Do you literally want to just reach through this and like jab me because Bryce gets to rule the dust court? I'm not saying Bryce isn't going to rule. I'm just saying I don't think Bryce is going to rule on Perithian. I think that they're going to overthrow the Asteri, they're going to rise up as a republic and create a democracy, and I think that Bryce will be a part of that leading charge of creating a democracy instead of an overruling lords, like they have the, the Asteri, which people, people, Rosie on TikTok has been pointing out, like, all the ties to Greek, and she told, because I was talking about this, and she told me that the Greek actually were the ones who create who originally created democracy, so I think with the storyline that Crescent City is going on with, that that's probably where they'll lead into is a democracy rather than ruling kings and queens, even the way that they have on Taris and, and Perithian. So yeah, I'm so, And if you hate this, and if you really genuinely hate this, I I do apologize. And I'm sorry for you that I caused you so much grief and so much pain. But I, this is something that I feel so strongly and this is one of my very first theories because I was like, I finished Tosab and I was processing and then I was going, I was rereading Akatar, um, before he was even on TikTok really. And I was like, oh, it makes sense that it more would be Starborn. Why else hide it for so long? Why else, why not just be like, the truth is very powerful and that's why more is so, could kill a bunch of people and overthrow an army. Like, you know, why? why not just like, laid out really plainly why keep like letting it be subtext if not to hide the crossover or to hide the de- the dust court because this eighth court has always been a conversation before i'm sure before even sarah had a, like totally totally solidified yes i want there to be a crossover but there was always going to be an eighth court resurrection in akatar whether that was going to be some crossover or something else to me, I think it was always going to be a crossover in my head, but there was always an eighth court and it was always tied to Moore and her stuff was always hidden. And I think this is how Sarah is choosing to tie this up. In my opinion, I could be wrong, but I, with the amount of parallels and pulls to it, I really hope not because that would be sad that she like, I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. So yeah, I think Moore is a dust court high lady. And if nothing else, I think she is just starborn if nothing else, I think she's starborn. And that's it. And that's all today I have for today. Next week, we have a requested episode. And yeah, thank you so much. I hope you have a lovely week. It was lovely to talk to you guys. Now that I'm not sick and dying, I can feel like I... As always, if you need show notes, if you want to know more or look at the information I might not have talked about that is in my notes, because sometimes I skip over stuff, Um, it will be on my Patreon and there is other bonus stuff on the Patreon. Wink, wink, hint, hint. I hate being that person, but just letting you know. And yeah, I will see you next week. Thank you so much, and goodbye!